Welcome to a quick mini-sode. Mini-sode. River Heights Radio mini-sode. River Heights Radio mini-sode. mini-sode. They did you wrong, Yvonne Wong. That's a French name, isn't it? Well, Yvonne is. And Yvonne Wong herself is of Asian descent, I believe. Well, they call her Oriental in the they 1960s do. version. They call her Oriental a lot. Actually, in the 1930s, they called her French-Chinese. Okay, which is, like, better. There's a trade-off. They're both very racist. Okay. But in their own ways. I found a really cool article at electricliterature.com. It's The Not-So-Hidden Racism of Nancy Drew by Andrea Ruggiero. She identifies as Korean-American. And she talks about how in 1959, the publisher Grosset and Dunlap to modernize the series to diminish publishing costs by shortening the books and to rid the books of racist stereotypes has the 1950s revisions made. And Jennifer Shaw says, Conformity is key in the revised texts. The books are free from the raging social conflicts of the 1960s, portraying society as homogenous and very white. These books were written for upper middle class or certainly middle class suburban white girls to read. I remember Nancy saying she recognized Yvonne by her distinctly oriental features, which is another way of saying I don't see a lot of Asian people. Nancy has been called the Wasp Supergirl of the 1930s. (laughs) Though that title can very well carry into the 1950s and beyond, says Jennifer Shaw. Yvonne in the 1930s was described as a dark-complexioned young woman of foreign appearance who wore a vivid Chinese costume and yet obviously was not a full-blooded Chinese woman. Costume. Yikes. Her smile as she led them toward the perfume counter was extremely forced, and she spoke with a distinct accent. So you've probably noticed that instead of just starting on the train talking about Yvonne in the 1930s we started in the perfume shop and met Yvonne. If you are working the makeup counter and your smile isn't forced you like your job a little more than you should. Well you can't these girls are wealthy. You got You have to have a forced smile that they can't read through. Yeah. They thought it was really weird how she didn't want to sell the perfume to them. George says, I didn't like her looks. She was too flashy or something. I can't um, put my finger on why I'm racist, but I sure am. Of course, Yvonne Wong gets the job that their friend wanted. Mm-hmm. And Nancy reassures her, why, this girl Yvonne Wong isn't in your class at all. She's cheap and loud. Ew. And this is all off of, you know, one basic meeting. Later, when Bess finds out she's tied up with the, the syndicate, the syndicate when the perfume shop shuts down, she says, I didn't like her appearance from the first. Yeah, something about it, huh, Bess? And wouldn't you know it, Nancy had guessed from the beginning that Yvonne Wong was a suspicious character. Uh, you know, people coming into Riverside Heights and not being white, I don't know where they get the gall. Mm-hmm. After Yvonne sells them the perfume, other than having some speaking lines, she doesn't really do anything. Shaw says not only is her foreignness a cause for criminality, but it also upsets the established gender roles. She's one of the worst female villains because she proposes to kill these women. That's some 1930s racism for you, which... Honestly, I prefer not the racism, but I prefer... She sounds like uh, she gets stuff done. Saying she's French Chinese seems much better. Because it even suggests a background. Yeah. It even suggests... Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that was like for her. And, of course, in the 1960s, Bess loves her blue jade perfume, and she 
you know, gets all dreamy eyed and says she loves it because it reminds her of the Mystic Orient. Yeah, which we discuss in our Lilac Inn episode. And in this book, there was no mistaking the distinctive Oriental features. Mm-hmm. Oriental? Yes, she looks rather Oriental. And with the name Yvonne, the girl was probably part French. I wouldn't be so suspicious of Yvonne, except I have a feeling she didn't get that job by chance says Nancy Drew. I was like, yeah, you would. You were suspicious of her from the very first page of this book because she wouldn't, like, sell you perfume. And because she forced a smile and because she looked loud. She looked loud. But, like, to be clear, Nancy really suspected her from the beginning because she wasn't white. That's just what it is. If we get into this other article by Andrea Ruggiarello, she talks about how even in the 1990s, Applewood Books reissued the first three books and then later the first... I think seven books Mm -hmm. in their original form in their most racist form right that's actually how I had access to reading Secret of the Old Clock in the 1930s form is through the reissue first of all the publisher decided that the writing was so much better that outweighed the racism which is not true but I can verify was better They were better written. But it never outweighs the racism. It really doesn't. And why can't you have both? Why can't you go back to the original and have the better writing and edit out the racism? Yep. And make it not racist. In fact, not just edit out the racism like they did, but make it anti-racist. Make a diverse universe that Nancy Drew lives in. But the publisher's note is like, oh, we know some readers are going to find this extremely uncomfortable, but, you know, readers at the time would have seen this differently. Andrea Ruggiarello points out, yeah, you're assuming modern white readers and historical white readers. This is a very painful representation of many groups of people and very damaging. Something we have to always remember when we try to force historical subjectivism morally is when we say no one knew this was wrong at the time, we mean no one white because Because no one... Because some people were very aware how wrong it was. None of the Yvonnes wanted to be treated poorly. No. Ruggiarello talks about how by ignoring the harm stereotypes were created to inflict, the publisher not only fails to provide crucial context, but they also fail to fully acknowledge the damage caused by these stereotypes. And she talks about having read the original Jeff Tucker version and she knew it was wrong. You know, she was a kid, but she knew, hmm, this isn't good. But that doesn't mean she explored it or fully understood it. She was a kid and she just read it. So she talks about how like maybe if you within the context of a class and people who were going to teach you the context of the history of these stereotypes, then yes, maybe that is worth reading. But we can't assume that children who these books are written for... We can't assume that they're going to have the context to understand these stereotypes. She says, As a Korean American child, the stereotypes I encountered about Asians in popular media not only provoked anger, sadness, and pain, but were also internalized by me and other consumers, Asian or not. While I am grateful to have access, the republishing of the books is specifically a profit-motivated move. Someone didn't just say, this book, with its its racism deserves to remain untouched for history 
They further said, and I think it could turn us a profit. Just like the statues that stand memorializing slavers, when we profit off that dark history, one wonders if our motivation is so clean. Ruggiero points out that these books were republished to profit off the nostalgia of baby boomers. Did she say that? Yeah. Ah, so yeah, there you go. The ugliness of America's racism is something that cannot be swept under the rug, says Ruggiero. The revival of these stories continues a cycle of pain and re-traumatization. More perspectives beside the default white one need to be considered when leading readers to these texts and determining which to celebrate as quote-unquote classics. Mm -hmm. Nancy Drew, whether inside of River Heights or outside as a cultural icon, seems to mean about the same thing. She's a hero and she's a classic and she's someone people look up to, but she's also white and very much white. We now have an intersectional graphic novel adaptation of Nancy Drew. In this adaptation, Bess is black. George is queer. George's girlfriend is also black. Ruggiero points out this is once again just meeting the expectations expectations of the time demand for representation is at an all-time high and well that's the trouble with profit motive it's easy enough to say what if Bess is black but you know what if nancy drew was asian ruggiero is awesome please read this article <laughs> she can say it way better than i can the question i'm left with is when if ever will we see a black nancy an Asian Nancy, a queer Nancy. When color only appears at the edges, marginalized groups remain marginalized. She can examine with her magnifying glass the ideals of diversity, inclusivity, and equity. That's the Nancy Drew that all girls deserve. She also says changing our titular character in this way would be an opportunity to explore the complexities of the feminism of Nancy Drew and put a young, capable woman of color front and center. We have repeatedly pointed out that Nancy operates on entitlement and white privilege. And I think I said to you, Nancy Drew is considered a feminist icon. I loved mystery books as a kid and there were not enough female detectives. But of course, feminism will never be enough unless it's intersectional. Feminism is not feminism if it's not intersectional. Well, Yvonne Wong, they took away your nationality. They failed to explore your interesting and complicated past. They judged you based off of your looks. And they erased that badass moment where you told them to kill the girls. And they stalked you in both versions. They, she just stalks her to her work for no reason. Yvonne Wong, they did you wrong. They did you wrong. Thanks for tuning in to another River Heights radio minisode. I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. Until next time, go, go Wildcats. Wildcats.